right now we're looking at habits of self-control, uh, helpful attitudes rather, um, that will help us develop self-control. Um, we're going to have multiples that we'll look at. We looked at, uh, last week we looked at self-sacrifice and self-denial. Um, sacrifice those things that we give up to do God's will. And denial the things that we say no, no to in order to develop a character like Christ. Um, I think these are all valuable as we build ourselves up to make self-control something that's more automatic, more of a habit, more of second nature rather than something that we have to work at constantly. So tonight we're going to talk about self-discipline, um, which to me is training in the Holy Scriptures and prayer, enabling Christians to lead lives pleasing to God and win the crown of eternal life reserved for those who are victorious over sin. So what does all that mean? Um, we have to have something to base our discipline on. And without the knowledge of God's Word um, and being grounded in that and having some experiences too in life, um, discipline is, is also something that's hard to come by, hard to develop. So as we get started, uh, having a proper attitude is, is critical, of course, for self-control. The more we are willing to do God's way versus our way, the easier self-control should be to implement in our lives. In Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. If we have the attributes of Jesus, uh, we shouldn't have any room for the world's temptations. I know we hear that a lot and talk about that a lot. Um, but the Christians that you see that um, have discipline in their lives seem that they have this pretty well mastered, or they've been working at it for so many years that, um, that they're really good at it. Um, we just can't have room in our lives for things that are sinful, things that are fleshly, things that are worldly. And uh, that should be clear to all of us. I think it really is. Ephesians 4, 23 through 24, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So if we put on the likeness of God, our old self can no longer live, at least it shouldn't live. We are really a new person. By putting on God, we take on qualities of righteousness and truth, and these can't coexist with sinfulness and falsehood. Um, if you're struggling with this, maybe you need to reevaluate where you are spiritually. And I don't mean that as a, a negative comment. I mean that really as, as an encouraging thing. Um, I've gone through this. We all go through this at some level in our lives. Um, having the likeness of God and, and being God-like doesn't mean we're going to pursue things of the world. Um, there's a big gulf there that we shouldn't be crossing over easily, back and forth, back and forth. Um, too often, I think we do, um, but I think it's just a matter of uh, life experiences with uh, God's Word on our side to kind of get past that. In 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. This is the Apostle Paul here encouraging Timothy to do the, God, to do the work of the Lord. He's telling Timothy to use the gifts that God has given and don't be timid about it. Don't be shy about it. Um, you know, if God gives us power, love, and discipline, we should be letting the world see that in our lives. 
And for most of us here, we're mature Christians, so we're kind of beyond that point of, well, I, I live one way with one set of friends, and I live another way with another set of friends. But right. when we get that discipline in our lives, we live the same way for God, no matter who we're with, no matter who we're, we're around. That might cause us some persecution. Um, and what you know, Paul is telling Timothy here applies to us as well. The, the timid part about Christianity, we shouldn't have in our lives. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're boisterous and you're able to get up in, in front of groups easily and you know proclaim God's word in a real comprehensive lesson. But what that means is, um, when it comes to the values of God, you're not going to shy away from them, and everybody can see them clearly in your life. Uh, that is discipline. Yeah. I think sometimes with self-discipline, we're more, we're more self-allowing. Uh, might be another way to say it. We're, That's a good comment. We're more likely to give ourselves permission for a lot of things. And what we need to do is not give ourselves permission for a lot of things. We need to toe the line. And that, that not giving ourselves permission for those things is an act of self-control. Good point. I like to comment about self-allowing. Um, yeah. How many times do you sit down, and we're going to look at this on the last segment of, of the lesson, we'll look at a Sunday at the self-examination part. You sit down with yourself and you kind of rationalize or justify it, you know, what you've done in the past or something like that, or behavior that you might have done that day. Um, we're, we're pretty good at that. We're like, um, you know, when we're selfish and, and uh, those sorts of things, we tend to be thinking, well, what's in this for me? And, what am I going to get? And we're, we're always looking at that side of how do we get something for ourselves. And discipline kind of says, no, let's, let's stop that kind of thought process and let's, let's start thinking about what we ought to be thinking about, knowing what we're supposed to do. And let's just, let's just hard uh, toe that line instead of allowing ourselves permission to do things. Yep. And that discipline ties back you know, with what we talked about last week on self-sacrifice and self-denial. Um, they all really do ha go hand in hand. Um, and, and the better we get at the one, the easier another one tends to be in our life. And I know Dennis had asked a question, if we got to the point of uh, God controlling us, isn't that, isn't that it? And, and it is, but you've got to have all these pieces in line to make that happen. So. That's kind of like saying, well, when I grow up, I want to be an astronaut. Well, there's a lot of things you got to do to get there, and these are all things we need to do to get there. So kind of looking at pieces that say, okay, let's, let's figure out how to control all these pieces and get them all in place, and then, then the bigger picture of self-control gets a lot easier. But, but we've got to have all of these things to get to that point of, of uh, being God-controlled. Good point. No, but you have a comment? No? She has something? I was just saying now, I'm, I'm not hearing everything you guys are saying because you both have soft voices, but and I may be repeating. But talking about self-sacrifice, if we know what Jesus has done for us, what, what he will continue to do for us, it doesn't really feel to me like a sacrifice. It's just a better way of life. Good point. It's, it's, you know, now, sure, when we come in from the world, uh, there's things that people have to give up. The ones of us that are raised in the church, I guess, we have a different outlook on it, but it just doesn't feel like a sacrifice to me. It feels like a privilege. 
That's true. And I think sometimes we're influenced with people that we're around from time to time, at least at different stages of our life. So as a teenager, we're influenced by people that want, they're, they're on their own agenda. They might not know anything about God or have never been trained. Um, so that sacrificing part might be different for it somebody in their teenage years versus for us. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that's where father's discipline comes in to help steer them in the right direction. I agree. It may not be fun, may not like it, but yeah. in the end, it's going to bring about results. But it's necessary. Sometimes that starts with external discipline and eventually you get to where it's self-discipline and that's, that's a good place to be, yeah, better place to be. Thank you. You're welcome. So the next verse we're going to look at is Psalm 119. And for me, this verse, I think, should be a part of our daily prayer. Starting in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander far from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. If we're going to live a life pleasing to God, we need to know one what He expects. And this attitude that David had of seeking God with all of his heart is how we should live our lives as well. It's less likely to disobey somebody that you love and respect and that you know. Um, and if we have that love, knowledge, and respect for God, um, doing, his, doing His commandments, living the way He wants us to live, shouldn't be difficult at all. I looked up uh, the commentary on Okay. And there was none. From 9 to 19, self-explanatory is how Kaufman says it. Self-explanatory. Yeah. Because it highlights, he highlighted everything. It's, it's, very, it's very clear, plain very spoken. It, uh, it really is. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Um, if you've noticed, this is a practical living class, but every class has been just stacked full of scripture. Uh, and going back to some of our earlier comments, when we were talking about the 12-step program and things of that nature, um, having God instrumental in our lives, knowing His worry is is going to be the most effective tool that we can have uh, for developing self-control. In this verse, the Bible doesn't reference human wisdom here as training in righteousness. Holy Scripture will give us the attitudes necessary to serve God. By knowing what God commands, self-discipline should be easier to achieve. Uh, I hope we all believe that. I hope we all live that. Um, because it really is most important. Well, man didn't create this universe. What does he have to say about it that God has an already said? Good point. In Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Uh, I hardly have any written down comments here about this thing at all because it's so self-explanatory. Uh, if God could have done this for me as a young man, I would have had a lot easier way in life, if he were to set a guard over my mouth, so to kind of keep me from running away from myself when I didn't need to, my life would have been a lot easier. 
Um, I think we'd give them a lot less trouble if, if God did build this uh, invisible wall around what we say. Um, the things that we talk about, the things that we say, our speech, all of these things, controlling them, are a most important component in self-discipline. It sounds easy, but of course we know it's, it's not easy at all. I think you make a good point that really we need a lot of this stuff when we're young. And the unfortunate part is, is that's not usually when we get it. Yeah. It's usually when we mature a bit more and we start to see the value. We don't see the value when we really need it. And like I said, it would have saved us a whole lot of trouble if we would have been able to do that earlier. The sad part is, you know, the young people that I, I know or knew, um, and I'm speaking about myself when I say that, um, probably wouldn't have accepted it. If, if I was in a class like this and we were going through these things, these steps, this, this level of practicality, I probably would have glossed over it like it wasn't important because I knew better. Um, I, had that, I had that problem. And you don't want nobody to tell you what to do when you're young. You know it all. That's and true. Like you said, you know better. Yeah. You, 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 when you're young, you know it all. Yeah, it does seem kind of odd that we're studying this thing, this, this information now in life, but um, <laughs> it still is really beneficial. In James 1.26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Here's another verse about what comes out of our mouth, what the world knows us. Clearly, whatever we say, um, that's how the, the world defines us. Um, whatever, we, whatever claim we make to being uh, like Jesus means nothing if our speech doesn't reflect the world. So I think this is obvious to us, but um, how many people have you been around that were in the church that you, you were embarrassed to be with because of the way they spoke, or it, it really made you uncomfortable um, because of their negative attitude, maybe their profanity, whatever, a number of things. Um, I think we've all seen this from time to time. And think about that. That's what the world sees too. Um, so if you're trying to live a life of Christianity and you're saying something that doesn't represent uh, the character of Jesus, then that's what the world is going to know you by. If you're not trying to bridle your tongue, then what, what self-control are you trying to have? Right. It's kind of unbridled all the way around when mm -hmm. you're not really trying to do that. That's right. And it has something to do with it, but it doesn't. But a friend of mine, I, I'll always say to the, the, their dog after I bring them back, uh, treats laying around, I ain't got nothing. And she talks, tells me that that's unintelligent, okay? So if she picks up on that, then she's going to pick up on anything else that I let slip. And I bridle my tongue around her. Mm -hmm. And she bridles her tongue. And it's really kind of neat to watch her do that and struggle with it. <laughs> it's that's a good around me. That's a good yeah. observation. But, I mean, it, it does. It, it tells you where you're from, your language and how you use your words. It's clearly going to define you. But that aspect is reflected in the way, how we are with people that we're comfortable with. Just what and, she was saying earlier about right. prayer. And I don't mean things that are bad or you know or sinful, <coughs> profanity or anything like that. I'm just saying when you're with people that you're comfortable with and you know, you've known them especially a long time, 
you'll speak real easy around them. Um, whereas somebody else you might be with that you're not with a whole lot, you might have a lot of respect for that person, you might be more guarded in what you say. Um, and typically for me, it's not the matter of saying something that's, that God wouldn't like, it's just saying something to, so I wouldn't look totally ignorant. You know, right. To be real about it. And I think when you're around people that are in control of themselves, you don't worry about what they're going to get you to do or, or where they're going to take you or what they're going to say or a whole lot of things they could do. You're just comfortable with yeah. them. Yeah. Growing up in the church, uh, you know, there's a group of guys that, well, a lot of us, but there's a group of guys that we hung around together. And I was always really comfortable with those guys. There's other guys that I hung around with that had nothing to do with religion. And I was always out of my element with them. In my heart, I knew it. You know, sometimes I tried to fit in when I shouldn't have, but yeah, it's those two aspects of life. I think this is one of the biggest ways we can influence others as well, because I think we've all seen times where um, people talk differently around me than they normally do, just because they know that I don't. Yeah. Yes. And, and we and don't, I don't think respect. twice about that, but it, when I realized, you know, I have two sisters who, you know, curse like sailors, but they don't around me, and just that subtle, and I've never said, mm -hmm. I've never had to say. They just know that they it, know. Yeah, and yeah. so, and, and it's, they would, you know, they would exercise self-control for your mm -hmm. benefit, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. In Proverbs uh, twelve eighteen, there is one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I like this analogy, this comparison here. We we can imagine what the thrust of the sword would, would do. Uh, it would be quite damaging. Um, but wise speaking is more of a healing type speech. Our words can both harm and build up, and we need to be aware of that. Thrusts of, of sword are painful and can be deadly, and what we say can and do the same thing. Our wisdom is reflected in what the world hears us uh, say and speak. So another aspect of self-discipline is controlling our body. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This goes back, there's a whole saying that goes around for many years, do what you say, say what you do. Um, and I think about that saying when I read this verse. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of this. Um, if you're going to preach to somebody God's word, they see your actions are the total opposite. Does that qualify or, you, or disqualify you to them? It's going to disqualify you to them. Um, they're not going to think that you're serious or committed or however you want to term it. Um, like our speech defines us, our actions do as well. In some ways it's self-deceptive if you were to just <clears throat> preach to others and then not do what you say. You might just be deceiving yourself and not... You may think you're you're doing the right thing, but you're being deceptive to your own self, which is really a, a negative side of self-discipline. You're you're not really disciplining yourself at all. No, you just you're fueling yourself. You're kidding yourself. Yeah. You're probably the only one you're deceiving. Yes, they all see. Yeah, <laughs> probably the only one. Yeah. 
In Colossians 3, 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. I, I chose this verse, it kind of piggybacks to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Sin is what disqualifies us from being right with God. And we, we need to be clear on that in our minds. The members of our body must be dead to immorality, not limited to our eyes, feet, hands, and arms. I think more than more important, what's not listed there, is our heart. Um, now that kind of goes back to the comment you were making from our previous week's lesson about how important that relationship is with Jesus. And um, if our heart is going to put away the sin of the world, um, chances are our body's not going to reflect it. I mean, our actions won't do things that is not in our heart and mind to do. So now let's look at some individuals that I know we're all really familiar with, but um, these are examples of individuals who exercise self-discipline. Um, for the Abraham one, I'm going to go ahead and read this because I think um, the text is, is, very, is very detailed and, and graphic. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to, to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. In Genesis 22.2, we see God's direction to Abraham. Which he says, take your son, take your only son, whom you love, travel to the land of Moriah, and offer him as a sacrifice. If you're like me, you struggle with with this command to Abraham. Um, but I think that eventually, if Abraham was going to be the father of all nations, um, God was wanting to see what he was all about from his heart. He got a difficult command, and there's nothing in the text that says he thought about it, tried to bargain with God. You know, it's kind of like when, when God wanted to appoint Moses, you know, to lead the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, Moses kind of went into bargaining mode, like, ah, you know, I'm not really good at this. You might want to find somebody else. Um, you would think Abraham would do this, given this command from God, and, and he didn't. He even got up early in the morning to go on this journey. He did. He didn't. Kind of wait and drag his feet and yeah. get up late and he got up early and headed out. He did everything showing that he felt God would provide an alternative. Or, and if maybe not that, he felt God's providence would come into place somehow that maybe he couldn't see or understand. Um, to me, I, I think Abraham showed discernment here. He, he saw something that wasn't clear. What exactly that was, we're not told that, that exactly in the scriptures, but Obviously, Abraham trusted God. 
You know, I've always wondered what Isaac was feeling while this was going on. Here his dad had bound him to the altar and raised his knife up. What was he saying? What was going through his mind? That, that it was just a kid. <laughs> that had to be hard. It had to be really hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that I want well, to speculate on that. I mean, didn't he, verse eight identify that. Didn't Isaac ask him something about? He did ask. You know, <laughs> yeah. where, would, where would the, uh, uh, sacrifice? the sacrifice? Yeah. yeah. And Abraham told them, well, God will provide. God will provide for himself. But then, like you said, Elmer, when they got there, you know, the land starts prepping them. So it's, yeah. You wonder if it's coming out of the land of the of the Ur and just going to a land he didn't know. And he just got up and went. And this is not that different, only it's a lot worse. Yeah. He, but he had the same view of, uh, he told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and the kind of discipline that takes is amazing. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I could do that. I agree. It is amazing discipline. Um, it, it is a good, it's a good example for this class. It's the kind of discipline that we should strive for in our lives. The next one is Uriah. Um, I think we all know who that is. We've recently talked about him in this class. This is Bathsheba's husband. And uh, we have time. I'm going to go ahead and read the text. Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his servants, with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Um, we know what's going on here. I think we're all really familiar with the story. Once David finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, he tries to do away with her husband. And her husband was... Um, a, a trusted person in his army. Just look at how he describes the situation. In Uriah's words, in verse 11, he, it, it illustrates to me his personal character. He talks about the ark, Israel, and Judah that are in temporary shelters. Um, he knew uh, the risk to that. Uriah's commander, Joab, and his army are camped in an open field, he says. Um, this was a guy that was full of responsibilities. And I think if any of us maybe were in his shoes, would we have that kind of commitment when we were allowed to go back home and told by our king that, you know what, you can go home and have a couple of days at home, take it easy before you go back into battle. Um, but Uriah didn't do that. And I mean, he stood firm and he stood fast. His commitment was so strong that even when he was drunk, and I, I don't know what that would feel like, but they say you don't have much common sense when you're drunk. But Uriah was not being so sober, not being clear minded. That it, it just would, would not let right. him sin or do. It wouldn't have been a sin, but no. in his mind it would. In, in his mind it was. Mm -hmm. So he didn't go home. No, he didn't go. He stayed with the Lord's serpents. And, mm -hmm. you know, his commitment and his discipline throughout this thing was. 
Uh, it was inspiring. Uh, it's, to me, it's one of the most real life that I read about in the Old Testament is, is this right here. Maybe just uh, David is one of my favorite characters, but uh, Uriah here and how he stood his ground and said, you know what, uh, if my superiors are out in the field and they're at risk and we're in battle, I'm not going to come home and live the life of luxury even for a couple of days. And he didn't. He had discipline. As a veteran, I always admired when I had leaders who were the same. Who, if we were out there doing that, they didn't go back and they stayed with us. They didn't, and they could have, but it was, I'm not going to go have the comforts of that if I expect you to be out here um, with the hardship. And it was something as an individual that I certainly admired when I saw that. Yep. So That's a good comment. I mean, especially those of us that have been in the corporate world for a long time, you have different leaders throughout your careers. <coughs> some impress you a lot, some are, yeah, they're okay. But who really impresses you? It's the ones that are committed to corporate initiatives and showing that they have a grasp on it and they're willing to work as hard at it as you are. Mm -hmm. um, and those kind of people are, uh, they're disciplined, you know. And um, you do kind of look up to them, you, you kind of respect them. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other ones, you know, they draw a fat check and um, they do really little. Um, and everyone around them knows it. Uh, they don't know it typically, but yeah, it's a real different, different character. Well, even with the military, you don't always see that, and it was nice when I would see that when I was in the military. That those that was because those leaders would make you want to follow them. It does whatever they said There's you no were going to do mm -hmm. because they were committed. This is one of those examples where you're taking your physical lusts and desires that are just really strong, and you're pitting them against an ideal that. You know, he could have easily said, well, okay, I'm being given permission, why not? But, why not? but he felt like, you know, God wasn't, wasn't in a nice place with the ark in Israel and Judah. He just wasn't going to do it. And so it was an ideal he was willing to sacrifice um, something very strong within him. He's probably been out in battle for a long time. Probably. And um, that would have been uh, nice to be able to go home. Yeah, you're right. And that that makes it hard too, just like with Abraham and his son. So the next one, um, actually, this is something that I had on for Sunday's lesson, last Sunday's lesson, for um, self denial, self sacrifice, but we really didn't get to it, so I included it on this lesson for self discipline. This is one of my favorite series of verses. I've used it at the Lord's table. Um, I think it shows Jesus at his finest. In Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves which also was which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So how does this come into discipline? Well, Jesus is God, and he was God when he came to earth. It took discipline to make the decision or to go along with his father to come to earth and, and do what he did. 
The discipline of Jesus caused him to deny his own deity and empty himself as a ruler and heir to the throne of God. He gave up everything um, that he knew to come to earth and to endure a sacrifice that he didn't need to. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus had the discipline to show respect for God and the Father and gave him the glory in everything he did. Think about every time Jesus was put to the test or was in, a, was in a serious way or somebody challenged him, he didn't use his authority to address the situation. He used God's authority to address the situation. And it took discipline, I think, for him to kind of come to earth and do that even when he had the same amount of power. I think so too because he knew that he was God. He was there at the creation. He was God. Yep. But he was disciplined enough that he showed respect to God the Father. He, he was, as he said, emptied himself, a man. Uh, but in his mind, he knew Absolutely. that he was God. Absolutely. Uh, took a lot of... Took a lot of discipline. A lot of things. Took <laughs> a lot of self-denial. Um, in the last bullet, Jesus denied his own purity. He was sinless. By taking on the sins of man and enduring persecution and death on the cross. Um, if that doesn't define self-discipline, self-sacrifice, denying yourself, I'm not sure what it is. I, I think that, of course, you know, Jesus is our form, of, uh, is our highest form of self-sacrifice. It's who we look to. It's who we look to be like. Um, but these verses here in Philippians 2, I, I think, just really hits this home for us, at least it should. So self-discipline has its reward. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a... They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. There's a difference between physical competition and spiritual competition or spiritual life. Um, of course, all competing requires self-control. That's kind of what this verse is talking about. But there's two levels of reward here. Um, one is a reward that we get in life. There are these small things that we often put a real big uh, emphasis on, uh, whether it's promotions at work, whether it's academic achievements, whatever those are. But the real reward we're going to get is life eternal. But it takes discipline to get there. In Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul's diligent working toward that price from God through Jesus Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul, his writing reflects this throughout, that he understood uh, the cost of competition. He understood what, what was at risk. Um, he had that discipline that he was looking for, a reward, something greater than life had to offer. In James 1 and 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. <coughs> all the things that we've been talking about, sacrifice, denial, discipline, those are all attributes of persevering. It's persevering through difficult times. Uh, sometimes... Um, the difficulties are small. Um, sometimes they can see, seem to be life-threatening to us. Um, 
but there is something that's worth all of this sacrifice and discipline, and that's a home eternal with God. We should have no doubt about eternal life if we live according to God's word. It's promised by our Lord. He's made that promise to us, and I think Christians are self-defeating at times when we don't really know what's after this life, or we don't want to comprehend it fully that, you know, by living according to God's word, um, this life isn't the final chapter, that there's something after this, this physical life for us. And I think by admitting that, knowing that, carrying that in our heart, I think it helps us with our discipline. It should, anyway. And there's never anywhere to stop. Paul said he pressed on. He, he never gave up. He just kept going as long as he lived. And that's what we have to do. That's just right. whatever that's we exactly can do right. as long as we live. That's exactly right. It's kind of like when you go to the gym and you're working out. And kind of like, oh, that hurts a little. I think I'll stop there. And then you go shower and leave. Or you can push through it. Yeah. Um, Sometimes those physical lessons of pushing through it help us with our spiritual lessons of pushing through it. If we give up easy there, sometimes we'll probably give up easy everywhere. That's kind of part of that uh, little thing, do the little things to add up to the big things. Yep. Working from small to big. You know, it's it's those things that we face in life that really are the, are the physical side. It's like if, if we want to to achieve something physically, we, we work out. Um, if we need to drop some weight, we, we diet. If we want, whatever that is, uh, maybe it's in school, it's, it's academic, we, we want a master's in, in some field, and we work hard to get through all the steps to get us there and, and achieve that. Um, it takes discipline, it takes commitment. But what's important, there's a, there's a, to me, there's an analogy, there's a comparison there that says, you know what? If you have the discipline to do that at the physical level, and you can transfer that discipline to the spiritual level, um, things in life will most likely, I know I'm making a kind of a general statement, but most likely will be a lot easier for you. The struggles will be, you'll still have struggles, but you'll understand that there's a process for you to get, get through them. And that process is kind of what we've been talking about, all of these different steps. Um, you know, as we looked at the material to develop this class, Dale found this material and, and got it and put it together. And, and really what it was, is we started looking at it, it's really a comprehensive way. It's very detailed. It's very methodical. Because most of the stuff that you look at on self-control and, and things of that nature, you could probably get one, two, maybe four classes out of them. Um, but we've been talking about a lot of scripture and a lot of what I call micro-steps to get us to developing something in our life that's really important, that's self-control. And usually we look at this topic and we mention self-control as part of getting there, but we don't look at self-control and then get a lot of the scriptures and look at what the self-control did in each one of them. And so this is kind of a different way of studying familiar material. And going back to all the, the prerequisites to get us here. We were talking about conscience. We were talking about will. You know, we were talking about all those attributes like discernment and things of that nature. Um, all of that has really been building blocks to get us to where we are. That's why I said on this second bullet, knowledge, discipline, and maturity are important aspects of self-control. But now we're seeing too that we have to have the proper attitude. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of people who might have some knowledge about God's Word 
but they really don't want to apply it correctly or they don't want to apply it at all. And it's not going to benefit them at all very much. So Sunday we're going to look at two other attributes. We're going to look at reformation and we're going to look at self-examination. So thank you.